Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Henske, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, where incarnate memories prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Welcome back, Imp Nation. If I had a dollar for every time someone mentioned this guest's name, I would be retired by now. It seemed like either on air or off air when we were just chit-chatting, everyone was saying, you gotta get Maria Doyle Lane on the show. And not putting any pressure on her. We had a great talk on the phone a week ago and I'm super, super excited. Maria Doyle Lane, what's up? Thank you for inviting me. Um, you know, I gotta say, I feel often kind of disconnected from UVA and from the imps because I live out in the provinces. Like when you tell people that you live in New Mexico, they say, oh, when did you leave the country? I didn't know you, you know, weren't living in the US. So just FYI, imp fossils, uh, New Mexico is in the United States. Albuquerque is a great city, um, but we are out in the provinces. So it's hard to feel part of the gang if you're not in the East Coast or in California. So I really appreciate the invitation to reconnect. But wait a second, it's a famous place. Wasn't there a hit show that was right out of Albuquerque? Yeah, that's out, there's more to Albuquerque than, than Breaking Bad. Um, it's, it's a great place, but it is a quite exciting in town. The, the filming that's always uh, happening for Breaking Bad and, that was, and that's still going on for Better Call Saul right here in my neighborhood, actually. There's a film crew right out my window right now. Really? Uh, any tours come by of people like me who want to just see the scenes? There are. There was for a long time a Breaking Bad tour that came came through this neighborhood, which was very exciting for the whole family. Kids were younger, uh, but it would always be a big event. Everyone running out to the front yard to wave at the trolley as as it went by. So it's not quite that exciting since the show ended. But. And did the kids uh, want to watch the show afterwards? And how did you handle that? Ooh, you know, I don't think the kids like ever actually kind of got that it was that it was a show and we didn't watch it. So they didn't they didn't know too much about it. Yeah, probably better that way. Right. Probably better that way. All For right. Sure. So take us all back. It all started in Florida, probably in Naples, I think. Right. So what happened from high school in Florida to your college choice? Give us the background. Yeah, okay, so I grew up in Naples, small town in Florida, um, and I was a good student, but my early focus really was just all sports. I played competitive Little League softball as my main sport. I played basketball and soccer in the off season, um, and like during all-star season for uh, softball, I was practicing like, you know, two to three times a day, playing all these elimination tournaments. Um, we made it to the World Series twice 
when I was playing softball my last year on the team, uh, we won. So I love team sports. I love to compete. I expect to win. Uh, but then in my junior year of high school, I had a um, pretty serious knee injury. And it was an ACL, which back in those days, like took two years to recover. So that kind of just changed my focus. And I really focused in on academics and you know, ran for like student council president, things like that. And um, I, so I wanted to go to a good school and I wanted to go out of Florida because to me, that's what college meant, getting away from home, you know, being independent. So it kind of basically came down to like Duke and UVA and Duke waitlisted me and UVA uh, offered me a Eccles scholar position. And it was just, uh, you know, as soon as I got that letter from UVA, I just could not wait to move to Charlottesville. Pretty easy decision. So that's awesome. Tell, what position did you play in softball? I was a catcher, which was another reason it was, it's pretty hard to come back from ACL specifically in that position when you're, you know, squatting all the time. So yeah, that was the end of my softball career with, I, I played a, a year or two of like competitive uh, adult league softball with the, the big boys after college, but that was pretty much the end of softball for me. You ever think that probably that might've been the best thing to happen to you, that injury? Do you ever look at it like that? Yeah, I remember at the time, you know, I remember feeling sad, but also just, you know, looking back, it's like, what a, what a moment of resilience, you know, I was like, oh, you know, this sucks. Like I can't do all these things I like, but oh, well, and just like turned around and like did other stuff and felt great about my life. So yeah, I wish I was still that resilient. That was, that was a good thing. It was a good change that happened at that, at that point. Yeah. I've had a lot of friends tell me that the injury that I suffered was probably the best thing to happen to me because it took me out of soccer brain and into get on with your life brain. So I, I get it. Sometimes those injuries as an athlete, that's really tough because at the age that it happens, it never seems to make sense. But 20 years later, it makes total sense. So that's great. Awesome. So, all right. So you get to grounds and what's that experience like? Yeah. So most of my UVA experience um, revolved around working at the Cavalier Daily. So I started there as a first year, um, just spent countless hours working, writing, editing. Um, I met so many good friends there, including my husband, Matt Lane. Um, it was just a great place. I, I don't know if everyone realizes what an excellent, excellent newspaper that was. I mean, that we were a completely student-run newspaper from editorial to production, to advertising sales, everything. I mean, we paid the daily progress to print the paper for us. Um, and we had like a receptionist who would answer the phones from nine to five, because we were all sleeping in, but we got all our money from advertising, like $0 from the university. And I think it was, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was like $800,000 a year that we were had to raise for, for printing and, and distribution. So, you know, we believed in the, the mission of independent journalism and we were just really good at it. We won journalism awards every year from the Virginia Press Association. We had all these excellent writers. A lot of friends from there have gone on to really cool writing careers. You know, we worked hard and we played hard. And I was, uh, I started as a writer, then I became an editor. And then I became executive editor at the end of my second year. So in that position, I was the one who wrote the lead editorial 
every day. We, you know, the thing that appears on the opinion page, it's an unsigned editorial that represents like the, uh, the opinion of the paper. So our little managing board would meet, we would decide our position, and then I would write it every day, regardless of whether I agreed with it, you know, I would write um, an argument. And that's, that's where I really learned to write. I know someone was talking about you guides and you guides winds up being its own little fraternity sorority within the university. Sometimes sports teams are like that. Was that there, that type of camaraderie with the Cav Daily folks? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the year that I was on the managing board in that position as executive editor, I mean, we were there like 70 hours a week. So you just like, those were your people. That was, that was your clan. And then of course, when that position ended, then I suddenly had 70 hours a week to uh, basically, I spent my entire fourth year just like pulling pranks on the Zoomers because I didn't have anything else to do. Uh, and I had joined the imps by that point. That's awesome. And what was the, uh, was there any rivalry between you and I guess the U journal, I think it was, and any other papers that were there at the time? Yeah, there, there was a very childish rivalry. You know, the University Journal at that time was also a daily paper. We both published five days a week. So yeah, we called them the Udge. And, you know, we were just really childish about it. But we were clearly the superior newspaper, clearly. And then tell me about, you mentioned the imps. So how did that go down? Do you remember how you got tapped? So, yeah, I had to like kind of think back on this. Um, and I still can't remember all the details, but... So I joined the Imps right before that term as executive editor ended. And it was my friend, Ben Arthur, who tapped me into the Imps. Um, and I'd known Ben forever. I can't, I can't remember when we met. We might have like had a poetry writing class together or met in some seminar on philosophy and religion. I, I don't remember. Ben, if, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I don't remember when we met. And I'm also sorry I haven't talked to you in 25 years because um, I do think you're an awesome person. Um, so Ben, I, I'm hazy on the details of the joke, but Ben came down to the CD newsroom, which was at that time in the basement of Newcomb Hall, to tell me that he had this big scoop and it was like some scandal with athletics. And I think he, he, might, he might have brought someone with him who had information um, or told me I had to go meet this person. And I remember it, it was early evening and he starts in on this big story, like the setup for this whole scandal and, and wanted me to go somewhere and get information about it because of course they want to trick me into going down to collagen and I remember like very quickly processing that we might have to redo the entire front page of the paper for the next day because if you know if, if what he was telling me could be confirmed it was this huge scoop but the paper was almost done because you know we usually finish the writing about dinner time and then there was like editing and, and then it would take us till about 10 p.m until we finished the, the page layouts and sent it on. So on that day, you know, we're running on schedule. We're about to start the page layouts, which were done by hand. And so it's like a big deal to change the, the paper. So I remember he's, he's talking to me and I stand up and I put my hand on the doorknob and I said something like, Ben, we are literally minutes away from finalizing the front page. If we need to stop the paper, I need to tell them like right now. And I, I was all business like, Ben, do I need to stop the paper? Are you telling me I need to stop the paper? And that basically just like obliterated the prank because I had this like overly severe reaction. So he has to ruin the surprise and be like, no, it's just 
just a joke. We just want you to join the imps. Sorry. You know, it was, I thought it was pretty funny in the end, but I, yeah, I, I had a very business-like reaction. It, took, it probably took you all but five seconds to cool off and then it turned out to be funny. And then you probably just went to party with the crew and all was forgiven. Yeah, it was fine. It, you know, and I, it's weird because I always thought the imps was like a celebrity club. I thought it was a real mistake that I got invited because I was just like a newspaper nerd, you know, and at the CD, we were really like wary of being too cozy with the, the campus celebrities and the politicos. And I always also felt a little like an outsider. I wasn't from Virginia. I just thought they made a mistake. You know, they invited me just because they thought I was important at the paper or something. But then, yeah, it turned out to just be this amazing, awesome group of people. And that night was like my first window into that like understanding it just such an amazing group and I made a lot of good friends you know in my group there Ben Justin Rosalino Susan Kuhn Gray McLean Liz Long Matt Fisher Calvin Schneider John Blank you know just great great group of people who took themselves seriously but also were like insane and ridiculous and had a lot of fun so I always it just always was a real felt like a real privilege to me to be invited. And yeah, that, that first night was the, the switch between like being all business at the CD to being like, what is happening? This is like an absolutely insane event that is unfolding here at College Inn. So that was, it was cool. You know, you mentioned those people and I will second that each and every one were insane. Uh, ben, uh, actually give Ben a little shout out. He did the music for the beginning of the podcast. So thank you, Ben, for that and your talents. So if you're listening, which I know you are. Uh, so tell me then, you mentioned pranks on the Zoomers. I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't dig in a little bit on that one. Any good ones? You know, I just, I can't even remember all the specific ones. There were just, we just never let an opportunity pass, you know? So like I said, I had essentially 70 hours a week free in my, in my fourth year, because I had done that executive editor position as a third year. And so while Matt, now my husband, you know, he, he used his extra time to like get a, a double major and get straight A's in his fourth year. And I use my extra time to like steal the Zoomers, you know, Z wreath that they put on uh, up for Thomas Jefferson's birthday and things like that. So there was, there was one famous one that really got people famously mad at me where I stole their wreath, borrowed someone's barbecue grill on the lawn. Um, maybe it was Justin's. I don't know. He and I were neighbors on the lawn and barbecued the wreath took a bunch of pictures of the barbecue in action, and then went and put the barbecued wreath on the door of a known Zoomer on the lawn. And yeah, I just got myself really chewed out for that one. And in fact, in fact, that person is now a faculty member at a, a college that I visited as a speaker. And I apologized for it 20 years later and was just like, yeah, I think I might've done some, uh, you know, silly things back in the day. I just want to say no hard feelings, right? You know, one of those kind of moments. So all was forgiven. And then did you, what did you major in? But I knew it probably felt like you were majoring in the Cav Daily, but what was your, your stated major? Yeah. So I ended up being a Latin American studies major 
And I'm since I was an Eccles scholar, I didn't have to declare a major. And so, okay, this I'm going to tell you one of my favorite UVA stories. So this is something I did in fourth year, but not as an imp. And this this relates to my major. Um, I I didn't I I went to UVA because I wanted to be an Eccles scholar. You don't have to declare a major. You can just jump right into whatever the 300 level classes. Take whatever you want. And I took, you know, history and government and poetry writing and literature and philosophy, just like everything. And then at the end of my third year, like I realized that I had taken all the requirements for Latin American studies, except the Portuguese class. And to do the Portuguese requirement, you had to take either um, two years of Portuguese, or you could do it in one year if you took the intensive class. And you could only take intensive Portuguese if you already knew uh, Spanish or French, and I knew Spanish. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna just take this intensive Portuguese class and I'm gonna get the major. Cause it suddenly occurred to me that my resume would look kind of weird if it just said, you know, for four years, she just took whatever she wanted. It, it, I thought it would look better if I had an actual major. So I, um, I sign up for this intensive Portuguese class. And I had a friend in there from the CD, Jen Rashford, who also became an academic and last I heard is kicking butt at some college in California. So we, we go into this intensive Portuguese class. We're the only fourth years in there. Everyone in there is like a really like super intense and serious, you know, first and second years. And we just sat in the back and made fun of these kids the whole time. And we learned our Portuguese, you know, we, we had a great time. Um, the professor was awesome. And we're, so we're, to, we're together in this, like a 20 person class for five days a week for the entire year. And at the very end of spring semester, we have to um, give these presentations in fluent Portuguese. And so Jen and I decided that we would do much better with this if we like had margaritas beforehand. So this class meets like early afternoon, one or two o'clock. So, so we meet at my lawn room, 51 West Lawn, around noon. She brings a blender. Um, I had stocked up on like frozen limeade and tequila and some backup mixers and backup liquors. And we make a blender full of margaritas and we just relax and we, we practice our presentations for a couple hours. Then we go down to class in Cabell Hall. Everyone did their presentation. And because we were like the oldest, I think, he made us go last, the two of us. And in our margarita inspired, like perfect Portuguese, uh, we presented on whatever our topics were, I forget. And at the end, each of us independently go into this long thing about how much we love the class and how wonderful the professor is, all of this in perfect Portuguese, obviously. And at the end of mine, I was the very last speaker. And I, I said, I didn't want the class to end. And I remember saying, a festa continua, which means basically like the party, party never ends. And I invite everyone in the class to come back to my lawn room for drinks. And including the professor and everyone's like looking at each other all these first and second years like uh is she serious and jen reassures them in per perfect portuguese she's serious so one by one all these kids that we've been making fun of for the whole year come down to my lawn room and eventually the professor also comes we made many many blenderfuls of um margaritas daiquiris 
I, I don't even know what. And it felt very high class to us because we were mixing our drinks in a blender and not in a trash can. And um, that afternoon is just like burned in my memory because there we were on the last day of classes, like the last day ever of UVA classes, making new friends. And that was just like, to me, that was a classic UVA experience. But to answer your question, Latin American studies, that was my major. Wow, that's a great story. I love it. That's perfect. It's like, that's the perfect UVA story ending on meeting new people right to the very last day, drinking, fun, laughing, and also involving the faculty. That's so funny because I don't remember a lot about UVA, but I do remember um, organizing dinners out with my Spanish class and the professor. And I think that that was my uh, that was my relationship building with the professor that probably you know made me you know probably from a C plus to like a a, a B plus type student in their in her eyes. But that was it was always great when you could hang out because they're real people just like us. Yeah, you know the Latin American studies major was absolutely outstanding when I was there. Like the Latin American history classes and the the government classes were just awesome. I don't know if it's still like that. And now that I work in academia, I'm like looking at that and wondering how in the world did they get such great Latin Americanists in the middle of like the Blue Ridge Mountains? Like it doesn't actually make any sense that that was like a real strength, but I loved all those classes. I loved every class I took at UVA, loved it. And I, I'm really glad I came out with the major that I did um, just because that was, that really helped me put it together in my mind, you know, what I had done all those years of just taking the classes I wanted to take um, in the end actually made sense and were pretty coherent when I packaged them and called it a major made sense in my mind. And when did you start dating Matt? Were you dating him at school or was that after school? Yeah, we so we met at the Cavalier Daily and we were just friends for a while, a year or so. And then we started dating in third year. And um, we got engaged in February of fourth year and we got married in November. So just quick, those were the old days. I, I often say we were the last you know, people in America to get married at age 22, because just no one does that anymore. And then um, where did you guys head from there? What, what happened after we graduated? Yeah, so we, let's see. So we first we moved up to DC and I had an internship up there working for the Organization of American States, which is a, it was relying on my Latin American background, but I decided pretty quickly that I wanted to move into like environmental planning because the, the work that I was doing for the OAS uh, was related to like natural hazard vulnerability um, in, in Central America. And I just, realized that if I had some technical skills in environmental planning that I could really do more in that sector. So we kind of charted a course to go back to grad school. Matt wanted to go, he had double majored in physics and math and he wanted to go to grad school in physics. And so we were up in DC, he worked for a software company. I worked for the OAS and then moved into working for a planning firm. And we were gonna go back to grad school. And then we had a little bit of a, a detour on that my brother, was killed in a car accident about one year after we were married. And we just kind of took a pause and 
So my, my brother died in a car accident and we decided that it was, it was just more important to take a minute and to move closer to family. And so we, Matt and I moved back down to um, Naples where I was from. And without having really like any professional ambitions in Naples, we just were like, let's just go down there and be close to my family. I had, my younger sister was still in high school at the time. And so we, we just moved down there just for a year or whatever. Like we didn't know how long we'd be there. We end up buying a sailboat and living on it while we're there, which was just like one of the most amazing experiences ever. I kind of felt like, you know, we're going back to my hometown. How boring is this going to be for Matt? It's just going to be like places I know and seeing my old friends. And so that was a way to like have it be really new for me too. And so we end up just, we like, we rented a dock space at the city dock, put our boat there. You know, we went to work every day, came back on the boat. We'd go sailing on the weekends. We had some imps come down and visit us on the boat. Um, so that was lasted about a year and a half. And then from there, we went uh, back to grad school at University of Texas in Austin. And we were there from 98 to 06. And then straight from there, we moved here to Albuquerque. So Matt works at Sandia National Labs as a scientist. And I'm a professor of geography and environmental studies at the University of New Mexico. Well, it goes without saying that um, that's heavy stuff about your brother that you shared, um, but really says a lot about you and about Matt, uh, that you just immediately went back home to just make sure everyone was in good shape. And it took a lot of leadership, you know, as a husband, that's that's a tough one for Matt too, right? Because it was your place. Uh, and so it seems like, you know, in a, in a not so great situation, you guys did something that was probably pretty memorable, the boat. <laughs> that's awesome. I can't imagine doing that, but that's awesome. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really important. I think we made the right decision. Um, and part of, you know, part of it was just kind of realizing that we were, you know, there we were in DC, like in the rat race. You just get caught up in that East Coast thing. And it was just like, it was a way to just step away from that and get some clarity on what we wanted to do with our lives, independent of where other people were going or what was going on around us. And that time with family was really, really important. So glad we did it. Tell me more about your time now at University of New Mexico, what you're doing, what you're teaching. I mean, gosh, I printed off something off the internet, which you can get everything nowadays, but it was amazing. They had like your kind of dossier of accomplishments. My God, you ruined my printer. That, that thing was like a bazillion and seven pages with everything you, you've accomplished so far. So take everyone through what you're doing now, what you're loving about it. Give us the scoop. So, well, first of all, I mean, as academics, we are trained to write our CV in a certain way. So there is no, you know, academic CV that won't ruin your printer, unfortunately. So yeah, I came, so I'm, I'm really interested in, what I do research on is how we produce environmental knowledge, including environmental science and, and environmental histories and that kind of thing. So I'm a historical geographer, which means I study like how we create landscapes but focusing on the past. And I really do this like a, it's almost like history of science, like 
where did we get these ideas about how we're going to do environmental management or what we value in the environment? So I'm always like doing these detailed histories um, about topics kind of in that area. So I wrote a book on um, a history of the early cartography for the planet Mars. So, you know, the very first maps of Mars were done by astronomers who really couldn't see it very well and they had to make a lot of assumptions. So where did those assumptions come from? Like, how did they color our thinking about um, other worlds, uh, but also about like how civilizations interact because they first thought Mars was inhabited, um, et cetera. So I did that book and I'm almost done now with a book on the history of how water management changed in New Mexico after it became part of the United States. So looking at a transition to like more scientific approaches and how those aren't just about the science, but they're also about cultural relations. You know, if, if one group comes in and says, we're doing science now, they're displacing someone else's knowledge and approach to water management. So I look at that from kind of a cultural lens. So I, yeah, I, let me not get too far into, into the weeds because then it'll just turn into one of my boring um, lectures, but. Well, I want to like go a little bit deeper on Mars. So uh, do you have any, you, we're hearing about all this travel now, space travel. Is it something that's on your radar that you want to do? Me personally, no, I have no interest in going to space. I have so many things I can do right here. Um, I, I just, I have no interest in Mars itself, honestly, uh, but I am absolutely fascinated by the way other people are fascinated with Mars and with the idea of, of space travel and how it just has like all these dimensions of um, just like this idea that we can escape or that we can have a, be a plan B, you know, if we ruin our own earth, we can go there. Or even just like thinking of it as like, you know, it's kind of this colonial thing where we'll go out and conquer another world. I mean, I'm just fascinated by all of that, including, you know, science fiction and stuff like that. So I assume from the tone in your voice that none of that is possible. Oh, no, I think it's, I think people will live on Mars in my lifetime. If I live uh, to be as old as Boots Mead, I think people will live on Mars in my lifetime. I think okay. it's possible. So people can live there, just not you. <laughs> not me. Not interested. <laughs> Maybe the kids. And what? how did you get interested in that? That doesn't seem like that would be a topic that would be front of mind for you based on your... I had gotten really interested in history of cartography, just looking at map making and kind of that as a technology uh, of but not just a technology, but also as like a knowledge form, as a way of like organizing our understanding of the world. Like maps are super interesting just as maps, regardless of what's on them. And in, in that kind of following some of that interest, I got, I just got interested in some of these old Mars maps and ended up deciding to make a project project out of it that, that ended up being my dissertation project. And then I did some more work on it and, and published it as a book. What would we find cool, a cool little factoid about Mars that that most of us wouldn't know, but you we would say, oh, wow, that's cool. Well, from the from the history um, of of Mars mapping, something you may not know is that, you know, it was widely believed that there were intelligent beings on Mars in the 1890s. 
And that was just kind of a common part of the understanding of, of Mars. They thought it was covered in canals. They thought that the canals were like used to keep an arid landscape productive uh, with so that they could grow food and that they were bringing snow melt basically from the polar ice caps down to these arid regions uh, using canals and that they were sustaining a super advanced civilization, way more advanced than anything here on earth. That is fascinating. That's why I ended up like not being able to let go of this project and all of that got represented in these maps, but it also got like that, that whole story got partly created by the maps themselves, which, which is what really just like drew me into that project. Uh, everyone wants to know family-wise, tell us about your family. I think you have three kids now. Yeah, so our oldest, um, Simon, is 15. He was born uh, just when we were finishing up grad school. So he was a babe in arms when we moved here to Albuquerque. Um, and he's a great kid. He's a very accomplished musician, plays piano and guitar, some other instruments, and he's also a great um, wrestler. That's his real passion. And he's so he's wrestling in high school. He's about to start his sophomore year. Um, let's see. Then our, our second kid is Christina. She's 12, so she's in middle school. And she also plays piano, and she has taken up in the last two years lacrosse, which is kind of fun since there's um, not a lot of lacrosse in this region of the country. So that's kind of a nice connection back to Virginia. Um, and then our youngest, Annie, is 10. She's just um, about to start her last year of elementary school. And she's um, a great kid, a, a swimmer and an artist, and all of them are awesome. And they push us to the max. I guess we'll just leave it at that. Yes, kids will do that too. They will push you to a place that you didn't think was possible. <laughs> and do you think you'll stay in Albuquerque for the long haul? What's, what's the long-term plan? Yeah, I, I mean, we both have great jobs here. We really like um, being here. There's a lot, Albuquerque has a lot of just cool stuff going on. It's an amazing, like natural environment. I mean, I really love like the climate here and the outdoor opportunities. Um, but also I just, I, I just have started um, a new position. We just have launched the center um, for community geography. And I'm the first director for that. And definitely that's, it, it, there'll be a, it's gonna take some time to build that up. And I'm definitely not gonna go anywhere, you know, during that process, but you never know what the, what the future what the future holds. Um, I definitely like this, this new center. I'll just tell you a little bit about it. Um, we're really trying to focus on, this is a lot of my interests kind of come together in this thinking about knowledge and environmental knowledge and how we form it and how we, how different forms of uh, knowledge interact. We have just been realizing, I think in some parts of academia, we're realizing what a detriment it is when we take like our academic ivory tower learning and we just say this is the only kind of knowledge that matters right and we displace other people's ways of understanding the world so this new center for community geography we're really trying to do research in environmental management or environmental topics um, in a way that's done in a more integrative way so we've got academics and 
community members all bringing different forms of knowledge to the table or different lived experience? And then what kind of projects can we do differently um, if we are kind of taking more people seriously than just the scientists and the academics? Not, so not like, not saying we don't do science anymore. We're not putting science down, but we're just saying like, how can we take, especially like indigenous knowledge in these communities out here in New Mexico, there's no reason that that should be like second class to science from University of New Mexico. We should all be thinking about ways that we can use, you know, storytelling, for example, as a way of understanding a place at the same time that we're doing like, you know, transects and biology studies. So that's what we're trying to figure out in our center, different ways of doing environmental research that take community into account. And what does the building of that look like? Do you need to hire a ton of people? Are you using people that are already there? What, what's the process for that? Yeah, it's mainly right now, we, we don't have a lot of funding. Um, so we're not hiring a lot of people. It's a lot of just matchmaking. And for me, you know, I'm always making friends and like putting little groups together and that kind of thing. So um, this is one of my strengths is just like, I know a lot of people and I know like, oh, you, you just introduced me to this person who has this really cool idea for a project down in the South Valley, but they need someone with this kind of expertise and maybe a couple students who have this kind of interest. And I'm like, I'm on it. I know who those people are. And I just make the connections and kind of put people together a little, and we have a little bit of funding to just kind of grease the wheels, get things started. Um, so a lot of it is just figuring out ways to work together. You know, how do you connect academics who have, you know, certain publication needs in order to keep their jobs, they have to publish. And then you have students who have to be like on the set calendar, the semester ends, they're done. And then you've got projects that need to get done that don't care about publication and don't care about your academic calendar. You know, how do you make those things work together? So I don't know, just some logistical thinking and matchmaking is basically the phase we're at right now. Just trying to do some good projects and see how they work and set up some models for how we might go after bigger funding and do bigger, cooler things. Well, that sounds like an awesome new challenge, right? I mean, kind of like adds a little spice to your career. And speaking of spice, I know you've uh, taken up a new sport, triathlons, right? Yeah, true. So you know, I had always done um, team sports, like I was saying, I, I never played sports at UVA, but I had done team sports uh, before that. And then after UVA, so when I was at UT Austin, um, I started playing ultimate Frisbee. Matt and I both did. And we, we started it as just like stress relief, you know, grad school is hard. So this was just, we would go out and play on the weekends. We had a little group and we eventually got in with like the the UT uh, teams. I played for the women's team at UT. Matt played for the men's team, you know, made it to a couple national championship tournaments while we were there. So it was just awesome. It was it was the the mental health like backstop that I needed to get through grad school. Um, then okay, so fast forward, then we have Simon, we move here, new city. We don't have a team. We have a new baby, new jobs. I just kind of like realized I was going to have to let go of team sports, uh, which was hard for me because that's just been such a part of my identity. But I, I wasn't ready to let go of like 
being an athlete, which is how I've always thought of myself. And so I just decided to give triathlon a try. The first race I did, I didn't even really train. I just was, I went out and made sure I could run the distance, which was a 5k. It's not too far. I made sure I could ride the distance, which was 12 miles and made sure I could swim the distance, which is like 400 meters. So all of these are actually incredibly easy distances. It's putting them together and getting faster. That's the challenge for me. Which of the three legs is your favorite and which of the three is your least favorite? Okay. So in triathlon, they always say you always have one thing that you really excel at. And the one thing that's your challenge out of the three events, I am literally equally mediocre in all three of them. <laughs> I, I do like probably cycling the best. And I ride with a Matt and I both ride with a cycling team now that just does like charity rides. So I put maybe a little more effort into cycling than other than the other two. I, it's hard to get me into the pool to do my swim training, but you know, it's better than sitting on my butt and I get cool race shirts and get a new bike once in a while. So I'm happy. I'm, I'll stick with it as long as I can. Cause you know what the attrition, as you get older, fewer and fewer people are competing in your age group. And at some point I will be in the top three because there will only be three of us in the age group and I'll finally get a ribbon or something. Yeah, it's like Survivor, right? You can be the last one, the last one without the tiki torch being put out. That's awesome. Exactly. Well, you know, it's funny because I think out of the three legs of that um, of that race, it's kind of like, I think swimming's the healthiest because it's the least difficult on your body, which is pretty funny because it's your least favorite. <laughs> right? Good point, good point. <laughs> yeah, but it's, a, I get it, like the whole, have you been watching the Olympics? You know what, we've been watching wrestling because Simon is so interested in that. And I have just loved watching the wrestling, especially the women's wrestling. I mean, I think for our whole family, the women's wrestling has just been so exciting. We've just loved it. So I enjoy learning about the different forms of wrestling, you know, freestyle, folk style, you know, what they wrestle in the high schools is different from what they wrestle in the Olympics. So it's fun for me to just kind of learn the different rules but yeah just watching like the athleticism and the strength of those athletes man so have you been back to charlottesville at all um yeah last time we went back was for our 20th reunion i think um so when was that 2015 i guess would have been the last time we were back and we'd gone to a couple of the reunions before that but yeah, you know, like I said, it, it definitely feels like we're out here in the provinces. Like if we go to a conference in, if one of us goes to a conference in California or DC, you know, we'll get to see some people and catch up. But yeah, we, we feel a little, little disconnected from UVA. I, I'm trying to think of like, I haven't heard of any like kid in our sphere in Albuquerque that's applied to or gone to UVA. It's just not a school that people are thinking about out here. Um, so we, it's been a while. We didn't get to go to our 25th reunion last year because of COVID obviously. And um, we'll definitely be there for the next one. You know, if I, if I don't croak off before that, it was my birthday yesterday. So I'm, I'm thinking about how old I am. Hey, happy birthday. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Did you have a party or no? No party. Um, the family took me out to my favorite place here in town, which is this little brewery that has 
like kind of mediocre beer, but really excellent Frito pies. And that's basically, that's all I want out of life at this point is like an okay beer and a really good Frito pie. And they had a live band last night. So that was good enough for my birthday. What, what, what's a Frito pie? I mean, is it just like what's Frito, a Frito pie? Yeah. Okay. So write this down because you need to make this tonight for dinner. I'm going to, okay. we're taping it. I got it. We'll, 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 okay. we'll on the show notes too. So you get, you get a little bowl in your house, you would use a bowl, but at a restaurant, it's just going to be like a little paper tray, put some Fritos in it. Then you pour some chili on top, like, you know, beans and meat chili. Then you put a little cut onion, maybe a little cut tomato if you want, and then melt some cheese on top of it and eat it with a spoon. Oh my God. That seems like a late night white spot or Chinello's truck on rugby road type of gouge yourself. I love it. That's great. You need to try it and tell me what you think. All right. It's well, one of my favorite foods. We'll do it. I've never had that, but now I've got to try it. Now I've got to try it. So uh, back to your UVA days, anything else that comes to mind that you wanted to share? Any funny stories, memories, hmm. things that shaped your life for later on? You know, I guess the, the one last imp thing I'll talk about is, you know, I, I told you that I thought it was kind of like a bit of a mistake that I made it into the imps, like, who, you know, who thought I belonged in a celebrity club. Um, so if I thought it was a mistake that I got tapped in the first place, imagine my surprise when I became elected king of the imps for my fourth year. And I just like never understood that. I think it was orchestrated by uh, Calvin Schneider and John Blank, who just thought it would be hilarious to have me, a five foot tall, small woman, be the king and have Freddie Fredericks, you know, a giant football player bound for the NFL as queen. And so I think they like orchestrated it just to create that silliness. Um, I mean, I never like asked to be elected, wanted to be elected, and then was like, how, how did this happen? Um, and I don't remember doing anything of value or importance at all as king. I don't, I mean, like, does the king have any actual responsibility? Yeah, it's a pressure-packed position. I mean, it makes the the work that you're doing at the Cav Daily look like romper room stuff. Oh my gosh, there's so much pressure. There's the, the organizing of the finances and there's the public relations effort that we have to do. There's a lot to it. I mean, you probably just really, we're not really good at it. I think, yeah, I think I just wasn't a good king. I, I did love standing next to Freddie and, and calling him my queen. Um, so I was good at that. And I was really good at the Zoomer pranks. And I showed up for meetings and marches. Uh, I just don't remember providing even one iota of actual leadership uh, well, in that position. Well, clearly it was memorable with all the people that have asked me to interview you. So someone thought it was fun and you did a great job. And at the end of the day, that's what the imps were about. We were about fun and camaraderie. And for us, I don't know if, if you feel this way, but for me, it was just a nice escape for like an hour or two, at least every yeah. Sunday or whenever it was that we were doing it. I mean, it was just a great escape with people that you wouldn't have met otherwise, right? That you wouldn't necessarily have hung out with. It kind of forced a lot of people who had a lot in common together that you would think we didn't have anything in common up until you met. I think yeah. that is. Yeah, for sure. I, I loved, you know, for me, like I said, you know, having been an athlete basically before college, but then not being a college athlete it was really cool to reconnect to some 
some athletes during through the imps and just kind of, you know, that felt like my people in a sense and that I, and I had kind of gotten away from that. So I enjoyed that. Hey, I'm going to put something on your list for a future interview. If you interview Barton Dick, you have to ask him about the gift he brought to Courtney Page's coronation because she was, she was king after me. And he brought a giant tractor trailer tire as her gift. He rolled it down the lawn and presented it to her. It just, I'd have no idea where that came from. I'd love to know where it came from, where the idea came from. Um, but by the end of the night of coronation and everybody, you know, having some tuna, there, there came a point in the night where we all started taking turns getting in the tire and rolling down the lawn. You know, people would push us. And as we go down each level, it would just get crazier and crazier. And I seem to remember him doing it without wearing any clothes. So he did like a tractor trailer lawn streak, it, you know, in, in the tire. So you need to get that on tape because I need to, I need to hear more. There's got to be. We, there's got to be a picture of that lingering somewhere. Barton, come on. People want to see the picture of you rolling in a tire down the lawn naked. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a sight. Let's call it that. That's a sight. All right, Barton, listen up. Your name has been mentioned like 1,500 times too. You're, on, you're coming up with an interview, like it or not. And so just to kind of like finish us today, what would be some words of wisdom that you would give to today's imps? I mean, you had such a interesting experience and unique in a lot of ways and unique in what you're doing today too. I, what would you tell them? You know, I, at one level, I feel like just completely unqualified to give anyone in this generation advice because I truly feel like their experience is so radically different from our generation's experience. Um, I mean, I work in higher ed and feel flabbergasted a lot of the time about trying to understand what's happening with young people and like what their world is like now and what it will be like. So that's just kind of a qualifier and a caveat that I'll, I'll give some advice, but no one needs to actually like take it seriously. I, I mean, my, my biggest advice that I give to my students um, like my grad students and people that I'm working with and doing research with is that we just have to be intellectually honest and super honest in our communication. And that we've, we've really come away from honesty and communication, I think, in today's world. Like we're doing a lot of like performing our communication through these social media, but like what, what is honest communication anymore? I think it's, it's a skill that um, you have to really work on developing it. And so the worst thing I tell my students, the worst thing you can do is just believe someone who tells you that there's some black and white or cut and dried explanation of something. And that, you know, this is right, this is wrong. I mean, that for me is just like the flag in research, in life, in, anything. You know, the best thing we can do if we really want to understand something is, you know, read novels, read poetry, listen to music, pay attention to art, read the research, talk to people about their experience. I mean, there's, we have to come at it from a lot of angles, right, to make sense of something um, and to kind of understand 
ourselves in the, the modern world. So I spend a lot of time thinking about what it means to be a white academic in a majority minority institution. Like, what are my obligations? Like, what's the right way to be in relation to people from other communities and other cultures and other places on the institutional hierarchy? And it just takes a lot of thinking and, and working to address questions like that. It's not something that you learn from a finger wagging Instagram post. Part of this work to start this center is like, how do we get past these really simplistic explanations and, and just try and be more honest in communication. So that's, I guess, my advice um, for everyone, imps or not imps or young people or old people is to just invest yourself in the, the skills of empathy and listening and, and communicating and learning from one another's knowledge and experience. Imagine other people's worlds. Yeah, that's a, that's a great perspective. Um, it's a great perspective and it's one that we don't always put front of mind. And I think that if we did put that front of mind, it probably uh, makes the world a lot, uh, a better place to live because you're almost seeking first to understand then be understood, right? That's kind of like, like you said, the black and white, there's very few things that are black and white nowadays, very few yeah. things. But what is black and white is probably your Bodo's bagel order. When you go back, what are you gonna get? Okay, I I never liked Bodos that much. I'm sorry. Like I just have to admit this to the imp nation. I always preferred Little John's. So Okay, so what was your Little John's order? Little John's wild turkey sandwich that has never been exceeded. Also, I had my first legal beer at Little John's, so it has a special place in my heart. And last but not least, your favorite word with the letters IMP. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go with simplify which is always my goal. Ooh, that's nice. I like that one. I like that one. Simplify. All right. That's good. We should probably all simplify and make life a lot easier and more fun to go through. I know as a parent, I'm king of not simplifying anything in our household, which I that's know the thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing with five of us in one house, especially having been here for a year uh, and having a lot of activities yeah, I'm starting to feel like my house is becoming a little too complicated and I would like to simplify it and many other things in my life. Amen, amen. Well, hey, it was great having you, Maria. You were awesome to catch up with. Imp Nation, you heard what Maria said, simplify and Barton, don't think you're gonna escape. We're going to find out more about that tire that naked tire rolling down the lawn. Can't wait to hear about it. Everyone, it was great here talking to you today. Maria, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Tom, thanks for having me. It's been really cool to listen to this podcast, catching up with what people are doing, and I appreciate you reeling me back in from the provinces so I can refresh my Charlottesville connection. Awesome. Take care, everyone. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I wanna tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing, don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. 
As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be. So I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense, C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.